Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. If you took a stroll along the banks of the Tay River in Perth, Ontario, just on the northeast edge of the town, you would come upon a strangely named location, Last Duel Park. Certainly, for many, they might just walk on by, chalking it up to one of many strangely named locations all throughout the province and the country. But the more curious might wonder... How did this park get its name? The answer to that is that the name is not clever. It's given to the park because that is the location of the last fatal duel ever fought in Canada. In 1833, two former friends had such a falling out that they saw the only recourse to be a pistol duel on a June summer evening. While on the surface, it seemed like this was over a betrayal of trust, behind the scenes, it seems like there was far more going on, that being a devious plot to secure a love interest, a devious plot that, if true, horribly backfired and left one young man dead. This is Season 8, Episode 7, The Last Duel in Canada. Today's book recommendation is titled A Matter of Honor and Other Tales of Early Perth. This is by the author Susan Code. This book was published in 1996 by General Store Publishing. Perth, Ontario in the 1830s was the epitome of an anachronistic English country town, a place that would be fitting in any Jane Austen novel. It had only been established in 1816, laid out in the gridwork pattern favored by military engineers, because its original inhabitants were largely military veterans of the Napoleonic Wars and the War of 1812. While many different Europeans settled there, It was largely Scottish in connection and tradition 
In fact, the town motto for king, for the law, and the people was the same motto as the town of Perth in Scotland. Because Perth was so rooted in a military tradition, class and status remained significant markers of social standing. And incredibly, the idea of the duel seemed to persist. What was rather unusual about the duel we are going to discuss today is that by this time, dueling itself was largely unfavorable throughout most of British North America. In the Western world, the origins of formal dueling in order to settle disputes comes out of the medieval period, though this almost certainly was an extension of informal duels from eras before. And in many kingdoms across Europe, there were accepted codes to regulate this type of dispute mechanism. In most places, duels could be a form of settling judicial disputes or disputes over perceived insults or slights to one's honor. The first formal codification of dueling, the Code Duello, came out of Italy in the 15th century. The first nation to codify it on a national scale was France. By the 17th century, dueling was seen as a method of dispute settlement specifically for the aristocracy and became wrapped up in broader cultural values amongst Europe's elites. There were certainly efforts to ban it in many kingdoms and countries. Louis XIII of France banned it in 1626. The Catholic Church continually tried to stop its use, yet dueling largely persisted especially amongst the military aristocratic class of Europe. Yet, by the end of the 18th century, the Enlightenment era, with its significant intellectual influences, saw a fairly gradual decline of the practice. This intellectual movement, coupled with the rise of the Industrial Revolution's middle class and the growth in more effective policing and legal institutions, all contributed to dueling becoming seen as a cultural practice of the past. This isn't to say dueling didn't still happen. Perhaps the most famous duel in North American history was that between American Vice President Aaron Burr, who killed Alexander Hamilton in 1804. Yet despite this infamous event, in the United Kingdom and in the United States, by the beginning of the 19th century, a person who killed someone in a duel could be charged with murder. In British North America, certainly by the 1830s, dueling was almost totally non-existent. The background to this infamous duel in Perth, Ontario, involves four main characters. The first is Robert Lyon, 19 years old handsome, athletic, and one of the most eligible young men in the town. The second involves John Wilson, a friend of Lyons, 20 years old, not considered overly handsome nor overly athletic, and not as eligible as Robert Lyon. The third was Henri Lelivre, the son of a French frigate captain who, as a diehard French Republican, had switched over to the British side during the Napoleonic Wars. Henri seemed to be friends with both Lyon and Wilson. Now, the fourth character in this drama 
was the beautiful and intelligent Elizabeth Hughes, a young teacher who had recently arrived from England. Her father had died of cholera on the voyage over and immediately upon her arrival became one of the most eligible young ladies in the small town. Now, Robert Lyon came from far more socially elite stock. He was the son of a Scottish officer, and his family had arrived in Canada in 1829. Originally, the family was from Inverurie in Scotland. John Wilson, however, was a son of a Scottish farmer. Yet, both had met while studying law and were considered to be quite good friends, despite the fact that Lyon and Wilson studied under different lawyers, two men said to be rivals in Perth. In the spring of 1833, Wilson and Lyon were together in Bytown, the future Ottawa, Ontario, on business for their respective law offices. They were hanging out at a local pub, having drinks, sharing gossip of back home, talking law, and eventually the conversation turned to talk of girls. Miss Elizabeth Hughes came up in conversation, and Lyon apparently spilled some gossip that Hughes was prone to letting certain men take liberties with her. In particular, Lyon was referring to Henri Lelivre, who she was apparently seen with fairly often. Now, the reason Hughes came up in conversation was that Lyon believed that Wilson had feelings for Miss Hughes. And perhaps this was so at one point. But at the time of the conversation, Wilson's affections had moved on to someone else, a dark-haired beauty named Joanna Lees. Interestingly, Lelivre, back in Perth, also believed Wilson had feelings for Elizabeth Hughes. And some suggest that Lelivre saw Wilson as his only obstacle to securing Elizabeth's affections for good. Now, for those wondering about Lyon's affections, he apparently was already engaged to a Caroline Tom. So here is where things start to get a little odd. Apparently, Elizabeth's guardians, the Ackland family, were under the impression that Wilson was still courting Elizabeth, not Lelivre. Now, in the custom of the time, it was entirely uncouth for a young gentleman to court someone and then to abandon that courtship without reason. Wilson, thus, wrote a letter to Mr. Ackland, testifying he could no longer pursue Elizabeth because of Lyon's remarks, which... Wilson rather idiotically repeated to Mr. Ackland in the letter. Well, as you can imagine, gossip spread like wildfire. All over town, it was talked about that Lyon had besmirched Elizabeth's good name. Suddenly, Lyon became a pariah. People snubbed him in the street. He found himself excluded from polite society. He was no longer invited to the fashionable social events put on by the prominent families in town. He even was refused by his then fiance Caroline. She broke up with him. Wilson, in revealing Lyon's comments, had effectively ruined Lyon's social standing in Perth. But Robert Lyon was not going to take this social ruin quietly. 
After some digging, he was shocked to find that the source of his ruin was none other than his supposed friend, John Wilson. It's said that the knowledge that Wilson had spilled the beans came from none other than Henri Lelivre, again, a person who very much thought of Wilson as a rival for Elizabeth. On the afternoon of the 12th of June, 1833, Lyon confronted Wilson outside the town courthouse. Lyon asked Wilson if he had written the letter. Wilson said he had. Lyon then punched Wilson, knocking him to the ground. When Wilson, laying in the dirt, tried to explain, Lyon refused to listen and is quoted as saying, You're a damn lying scoundrel, sir, and I'll treat you as such every time I meet you. This is where the strange nuances of 19th century polite society come into play. Because Wilson was of a lower station, the son of a Scottish farmer, he felt the only way he could maintain his respect in Perth society was to gain satisfaction. His boss, James Bolton, even told the court after the fact if his standing in society had been higher, he might, with less danger to his reputation, have treated the matter with contempt. Now, at this point, Wilson seemed to have hoped Lyon would see reason. They could talk it out. Lyon could apologize. And thus, Wilson would have had that satisfaction. And while at first Lyon seemed to be open to it, he soon changed his mind. Now, why he changed his mind is still up for debate. But according to court testimony, it was his friend Lelivre who seemed to be strongly encouraging Lyon to refuse an apology. And in fact, Lelivre told Lyon that his honor demanded satisfaction now that Wilson had called him out. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thus it was that after a flurry of messages, Wilson issued the challenge for a duel and Lyon accepted. Again, it's important to note that dueling was no longer an accepted mode of settling disputes in the Canadas. In most places, the practice had become antiquated. Yet, in a military town like Perth, some still clung to what was seen broadly as an obsolete settlement mechanism. The date was set for the 13th of June at 6 p.m. The meeting place was chosen a mile out of town, technically outside the legal limits of Bathurst County in what is today aptly named Last Duel Park. At 6 p.m., Lyons stood there with Lelivre as his second, Wilson across from him with his second, Simon Robinson. The only other person attending was local physician Dr. William Hamilton. Evidence suggests 
that even at this point, Wilson hoped they would shoot to miss and honor would thus be satisfied. The two men lined up across from each other, no closer than 10 yards according to dueling etiquette of the day. Wilson fired first. He missed. Lyon fired second, also missing, but grazing Wilson's temple. Now, it was widely known that Lyon was an accomplished marksman, and it is suggested that Lelivre knew this too, thus being the reason he pushed Lyon into a pistol duel in the first place. Wilson was not an accomplished marksman. It's also impossible to tell if Lyon meant to miss or not. So at this point, according to dueling custom, if both parties had agreed, the duel could have been over. Honor would have been satisfied. Yet, according to reports, Lyon, at Lelivre's insistence, reloaded, and thus Wilson had to face Lyon down once again. Both men thus aimed their pistols, and at the given signal, fired once more. Wilson actually turned his head when he pulled the trigger, assuming this was the end for him. Incredibly, when the smoke cleared, Wilson had not been hit. Yet, somehow, Wilson's shot had struck Lyon and struck true. The story goes that Lyon spun, threw up both his hands in the air, and was dead by the time he hit the ground, the bullet having pierced his heart. Le Livre, possibly in fear that his plan had not just failed but totally backfired, fled the scene immediately. Shocked, Wilson gave himself up to the authorities and was charged with murder. His second was also charged but with accessory to murder. The trial occurred in Brockville in August and the courtroom was absolutely packed. When Wilson finally took the stand, he said, and I quote, I was led from step to step, still in hopes nothing serious would occur until the fatal moment when the pistol was put in my hand the second time. Then, indeed, I felt the dreadful reality of the situation. I expected to be killed, but death was less terrifying than the frowns and reproaches of my friends and a scornful world. The key argument defending both Wilson and Robinson, his second, was that they felt no malice at all towards Lyon, and malice, they argued, was essential in a murder conviction. After an impassioned plea to the jury by both Wilson and Robinson, the jury agreed, and the men were found not guilty. Now, Wilson went on to have quite the successful life, though at first it did seem like the duel had destroyed his standing. The woman he sought to marry, Joanna, would have nothing to do with him. Her mother seemed to have been the root cause of this separation. Throughout the town, despite Wilson seeking to satisfy his honor, his reputation had been sullied. Lyon's friends and family were all now enemies of Wilson, many seeing his not-guilty verdict as a miscarriage of justice. Everywhere he went, he was haunted by the killing of his former friend. He moved to London, Ontario, though in an odd twist of fate, returned to Perth two years later and, incredibly, went on to marry none other 
than Elizabeth Hughes. Wilson did settle down into a respectable law career and even served as a member of parliament for some time. He eventually became a judge on the Ontario Supreme Court. Though having a successful professional life, his marriage was reported to be an unhappy one, and he died in 1869. Not much is known of what happened to Le Livre. He was reported to have spent time in Ottawa and later Montreal and did, in fact, return to Perth once more to reportedly attend a funeral. But his story is murky. It's said he eventually immigrated to Australia, where he died an old man. Robert Lyon was buried in the Perth Cemetery. His gravestone can be seen today, and on it, it reads, Dedicated to the memory of Robert Lyon, student at law. He fell in mortal combat on the 13th of June, 1833, in the 20th year of his age. Rest in peace. I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends.